Uh, today's scripture we'll be studying is from Ezekiel uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through chapter 3, verse 3. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front of it and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to uh, see you this morning. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't in here at the beginning. I know many of you, but there's a, a, a bunch of you who are new to Arcadia and new to Redemption and therefore new to me. But my name is Tom Schrader, and I uh, am typically at the Gilbert campus. I'm part of the leadership team, and I have the privilege and the luxury of getting around to the different campuses and periodically uh, teaching, which is like my favorite thing in the world to do. And Frank called, well, I don't know, months ago and said, I'm going to be gone this month, and uh, would you teach? And I said, sure. And I just, I got a text from him this morning. Uh, He said, praying for you, hope you have a great time. He's in Iowa. I'm from Iowa. Uh, So I sent back, how are things in paradise? (laughs) And he responded, perfect weather, ran on a soft carpet of an inch of snow yesterday with no wind and beautiful. And I said, well, good for you. That's not perfect weather. Uh, So Frank is happy. Uh, He's a... has a place where he goes back there frequently to teach. They love him, and uh, that's just a great time. So I am the winner in this deal. Uh, I get to to be with you today. The other part of this, and uh, so often when you come in to teach, they'll simply say, uh, teach as uh, God leads you. Teach what's on your heart, which usually means do your greatest hits. In other words, don't mess this up teach something you've taught before and you know that wasn't the case today. Uh, I was assigned the text and it was a text that, that, that Dave read. It's from Ezekiel chapter 2 verses uh, 8 through chapter 3 verse 3. And when I, I read the text and then you kind of heard it, uh, Cody alluded to it, uh, that, that in this Lent time, we're looking at almsgiving, praying, different disciplines, and studying of the Word. And, and so this is clearly a passage about the Word of God. But the more I got into it, the more I had mission creep. The, the more I found myself seeing things in there that, not, not, not things that aren't there, but things that I think apply to us. And, and so I, I, I really hope that I can connect this passage, which I think very honestly we can understand pretty quickly, but then make a transition from Ezekiel to us. 
So what I typically do when I prepare a lesson, and I've got my phone up here. This is, we don't have a clock up here. Uh, so this is what I'm using to make sure I hit time. So it's not that I'm distracted, okay? Um, what I typically do when I get a passage is I, I read it, and then I read it in, I don't know, six, eight, ten, however many translations. I make notes that to me seem obvious. Then I go to commentaries and other resources, pull stuff together, and I'm constantly looking for observation. I want to know, what, what, what's the text say? What's going on right here, right now? What's the scene? What's the background? What's the text say? And what does it mean to me? So if you're listening, you should be constantly asking, what did he say? Is it true? So what? Now I'm going to add a fourth one to this. Now what? Because I'm going to want you at the end of this, I'm going to want you to do something. I'm going to want you to, to radically infuse your life with a desire for the Word of God, not to become an expert in the Word of God as an end, but as a means to see your life transformed. So let me read you three paraphrases of this passage. And, and it just emerges really simple. This is the uh, New Living Translation. Son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not join them in their rebellion. Okay, so there's one thing. Don't do that. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then, Ezekiel has this view, this, this vision. I saw a hand reaching out to me. It held a scroll. It was unrolled. And then I saw both sides were covered with funeral songs, word of sorrow, pronouncements of doom. Verse 3 of, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. The voice said to me, son of man, this is repetitive now, eat what I've given to you, feed on the scroll, now, then go and give that message to the people. So I opened my mouth. He fed me the scroll. Fill your stomach with it. Get filled with it. And when I ate it, I tasted it, and it was sweet to the mouth. The living translation is essentially the same. It says this, do not be a rebel too. Open your mouth. Eat what I give you. The message, a little bit different. It says, only take care, son of man, that you do not rebel like these. So, so let me just step back and, and fill this in. Ezekiel's a prophet. A prophet was a lousy job. Your job was to go and confront rebellious, sinful people. So he begins by saying, don't rebel by them, like them. How am I going to do it? Open your mouth, eat what I give you. And now he looks and he sees the scroll. So for our context, think the word of God, eat this book, then go speak to Israel. So, so pretty quickly you get a scene. Ezekiel was one of the more unique prophets. There were two prophets who were prophets who wrote in captivity, uh, Ezekiel and Daniel. Ezekiel is to speak words of judgment now, really big here, okay? Huge point. Speak words of judgment and hope to the people of Israel. 
So often when we think prophet, if you have a context at all, or you think of that Bible guy or Bible gal, you think judgment, 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 judgment. That's not just it. It's judgment and hope. This world wants hope. We had a whole election in 2008 driven by hope and change. I went back last summer, and, uh, and I do this kind of stuff, and I googled presidential slogans, and it went like all the way back to, uh, I, I don't know, Thomas Jefferson. I don't know how far back it went. I, I've, here's an interesting fact I discovered the other day. Other than George Washington, the only president to run unopposed was James Monroe. Got nothing to do with Ezekiel, but I thought that was interesting. Now, I was just reading, I thought, and there must be a backstory to that. Well, I'm going back and I'm looking at all of these presidential slogans, and it was constantly, it didn't many times use the word hope, but it was constantly hope and change, hope and change, hope and change, hope and change, make America great again, okay? Oh, change, 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 change. When we come along, We've got a position in the marketplace, and it's not just judgment, judgment, judgment. Read the sentence again. Ezekiel speaks words of judgment and hope to the people of God. So in my prep for this, I came across this simple sentence offered by one commentator, and it it changed my whole perspective on how to present the lesson to you. She wrote this. Our call is the same as Ezekiel's. So rather than you step back and go, I'm going to do this objective study on Ezekiel. I want to look at Ezekiel. What a guy Ezekiel is. Go, Ezekiel, go. Give me an E and give me and then spell it. I don't know how to spell it. Give me an O, Ezekiel, go, go, go. I want you to see that you're wearing the same jersey he's wearing. You're in a different circumstance, but substantially in the same position. This is a, I came back to this over and over again. Our call is the same as Ezekiel's. One French philosopher wrote this, every man carries within himself the history of the world. In other words, our heart is a story of this book, of fall of creation, of redemption, of restoration. Ezekiel steps into this world, I don't know, 2,500 years ago about, and he, and he finds a world, and specifically in this nation of Israel, that's all messed up. What do you do in that situation? Because your call is the same as Ezekiel's. I'm talking to my daughter the other day. I have two daughters. One is very much like me. One is not. I'm talking to the one that's not like me. She's upbeat, positive. She's the sweetest thing in the world. I, I said all the time, she's a, she was a Gia kid. You just added water. She could raise herself. She was, she, she was, um, she's unbelievable. She's the nicest person in the world. And we're talking, and she's calling me, and she, she, always, she always does this before I teach. She always calls the day before, and she says, 
you got anything to say? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. And uh, I'm pretty set, and it's, it's changing, but I feel good. And we're talking, and we're talking about our daughters in gymnastics, and, you know, a gymnastics thing yesterday. And she said, you know, Dad, everybody I'm talking to, now here's what she means, listening to, because she's not engaged. I know her. She didn't, this, she didn't do this. Everybody I'm talking to is talking about how messed up the world is. Does that sound like the circle you run in? That's the circle I run in. I say this all, I hang out all the time with old people. Okay, I am one. And here's how every conversation goes. What's your PSA? Okay. You know, do you have your colonoscopy? Have you had your deal? And then I'll say, what did you do today? It's every time. Watch Fox News, listen to Sean Hannity, buy gold. I mean, those are the three things they did today. Now, I'm not putting that down. If you're one of those people, go get them, Tiger. I'm not taking a shot at you, but I know me. I know me. I'm a melancholy guy. It doesn't take much to get me down. I can't live in there. It feels so dark. Well, it's just like Ezekiel. This is what came. And our call's the same as Ezekiel. So I'm going to get this Ezekiel thing. He's in this dark place. One author writes this. The book of Ezekiel traces the causes of the captivity of the nation of Israel and why it's in so much trouble. Ezekiel's a weird, weird book in that it starts, don't, don't, don't read it now, but if you want to, if you want to have a, a different experience, this afternoon, read Ezekiel chapter 1, and he gets a vision of God, and he's seeing wheels, and I'm, I'm back in the 70s. I, I mean, he's feeling wheels, and there's stuff going on, and there's all this stuff. Well, he's seeing God. When Ezekiel sees God, now he's ready to speak. He moves into his prophecy. When man chooses to avoid God, the God who made him, there's nothing left but judgment. This, this is so easy to die. It's so easy to diagnose what's wrong today. We don't follow God. It's true individually. It's true corporately. We can get in here. Here's one of the things I don't like. We can get into a place like this, and we can talk about how screwed up they are out there. Well, you're out there, too. You're in here two hours a week, 166 hours a week. You're out there. And the solution is God. Three times, God says in the book of Ezekiel, he led me through. This is what the Lord says. Here's what he said, eat what you find. In our kind of vocabulary, the idea of eating my words has a negative connotation to it. What he's saying, and I'll just read you a quote from one author. He said, here's God's point. His word needs to be digested, consumed, not just nibbled. 
Scarf down, pig out, chow down. The Bible's not finger food. I'm, I'm going to a wedding today. And, and I said to Sandy, what time's the wedding? Sandy is my wife, 4.30. I said, I, I hope they have something to eat. <laughs> I don't want one of those little, I don't want one of those little blim blam. You got to get five of them and squash them together. Every wedding I go to, I'm at McDonald's on the way home. I don't understand. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it should be that way. Well, the Bible's not that. He's saying, I want you to, that language is strong. I want you to eat this. This is a meal. I want you to devour this. I want you to take that word and internalize it so it becomes transformational. So consistently, I I don't know if Frank uses uh, this phrase, I do often, is what we're after is a transformed heart and an informed mind, which leads to a radical life. We tend to start it backwards. We're immediately concerned about something's messed up, let's do behavior modification. Let's get him to stop. It isn't gonna work. I don't need to be extrinsically motivated, it needs to be an intrinsically motivated act. My heart needs to be changed. I, I fight my weight. You, you, you can't tell. Um, but I fight my weight constantly. And, and I'm doing a lot better. Part of it is I've been sick, so i got to eat a little better just to feel better. But I, I'll, I'll go. This is so stupid, okay? I'll go to, let's say, McDonald's. And I'll look around, see if anybody sees me. And then I'll say, eh, quarter pounder with cheese, ketchup only. But I'm looking around like, like well, I'm going to then get out to the car. Then I got to figure out, because I got I to get, get rid of this bag before I get home. <laughs> so then I got a place in the trunk. Above, and I'll throw the place in the trunk. I'm, who are you fooling? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lose weight that way. You gotta want to do it. Intrinsically motivated, a transformed heart. How do I know? Well, my heart's transformed through an experience with God, and my mind's informed when I feed on His Word. Again, another author, we need to feed on him, fill our hearts. We need to feel the implication of his word. We need to test it. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in all of it. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, the word is as sweet as honey. Job chapter 23, verse 4, I have treasured the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. See, now we're into really practical. Here's the comment the author makes on that. I am firmly convinced in this statement 
that in Job we find a major clue to his secret of success in the middle of unmistakable affliction. As food sustains the physical body, God sustains Job's soul. I've been uh, doing a lot of teaching on Sunday lately, which is, which is great. I love it. This is my favorite thing. And I spoke at Gilbert uh, a month ago, and the topic was suffering. I, I, it's a comment on my age. Whenever I come in now, they ask me to talk about legacy or suffering. So that's how you know you're old. And so it's on suffering. When you break it all down, you have to understand that suffering is a normal part of every life, especially the Christian life, and I need to get my arms around God's perspective on this. Not, not God, why would I suffer? God, what are, you, what are you trying to do? I've been in a funk. I got in a funk around Thanksgiving, Christmas, I've had a lot, I, have, <laughs> I, I, I lie these problems out, and I, and I, and I but, but I, a couple years ago, I had open-heart surgery, I got lupus, I got kidney stones, eight weeks ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, two weeks ago, I was diagnosed with vertigo, which is really interesting, because your head spins and you hear Jimi Hendrix, it's kind of cool, really, and then it, but then it gets ugly after that. I got all these things. And I just am going, what, what, what? Not, not why is me, but what's happening? And I got beat up, and, and, I, and I go to bed. I love to go to bed. And I put on iHeartRadio, and I listen to the Christmas Channel, and I listen to WOC Radio in Davenport, and, I, and then the news comes on, and I get drugged further and further and further down, and all of a sudden, here's what I realized. Buddy, you got a problem. You're not in this word. God's got you here for a reason. You hurt for a reason. And just out of curiosity, you might want to count your many blessings, name them one by one. This word of God comes along, and it's Job. Job is going, listen, it's all falling apart. Here's what I do. I know God. I know his purpose. I know he's right. I know he loves. How do I know it? I know it from his word. So to me, and, and, and I'm sure technically we could go a little bit deeper and start to break words apart, that's what I think that passage is talking about. Ezekiel the prophet, getting the word of God, and then taking that word to a generation that desperately needs to hear it. But, but I don't want to leave it at that. I, I want to take it, and I want to bring it into you and me. So open your Bibles. We're going New Testament now. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy when, when Frank told me what my, a passage was going to be, and he said, you know, Ezekiel 2.8, I had no idea what it said. Uh, before I even looked it up, he said, you're going to end up in 2 Timothy. You're going to end up in 2 Timothy 3. And I said, okay. And, and he's right. 
So, so can I, we got the setting. Let's make sure we're on the same page here. You're a prophet. You're Ezekiel to go into not, not the world too big, into your world, your sphere of influence. I taught last week at New City Church, and they've got a great mission statement. I love their mission statement. Uh, we are a community in the urban core of Phoenix committed to taking Jesus to where we live, work, study, play. That's you. So you're in this world. It's a world that's messed up. It's all, it's, it's, it's like one of those things at Christmas that you get, where you get that little scene, it's a little glass bubble, and you shake it, and there's stuff flying all over. That's the world you're in. As you go into the world, here's your number one resource, the Word of God. A transformed heart, a life that's changed. They asked one of the presidential candidates this week, not going to tell you which one because that'll just mess it all up, okay? But they asked one of them this week uh, about religion, and, and these guys rarely get it right. And he said, they're all essentially the same. It all boils down to the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's not Christianity. What makes us Christians is what we believe, not how we behave. We, we, this, uh, next Sunday is a big deal. I did 21, 22 Easter Sunday mornings, five, six, seven services a Sunday. And every one of however many messages those were, everyone was the same. The tomb is empty. That's a big deal. And he's alive. And biblical Christianity is about you and me coming to grips with the fact that I'm a sinner. It seems to me like that ought to be the one thing you should be able to gather enough empirical data to support. I'm guessing you could talk to your friends, relatives, spouse if you're married, ex if you were, and you're a sinner, okay? Now, now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus died, this is important now, for our sin. Not that Jesus died. I, I went to Wikipedia. He died. It's on there, okay? <laughs> so I know he died. But he died for our sin. And what makes me a Christian is that I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. If I don't believe that, I'm not a Christian. No matter how many people I feed, how many houses I build, all that stuff. Now, let's be clear, okay? You don't know me, so, so you could easily misunderstand me. I could easily not communicate clearly, so let me over-communicate. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm saying, once my heart is transformed, I'm ready to live this radical life, but it takes place through an informed mind. And in Ezekiel's day, and in our day, the information is the same. It's the scripture. It's the Bible. 
a few years ago, I read a book, uh, a small book called Christian Mission in the Modern World. I love the book by John Stott. And in this, uh, I, I thought of this, uh, went and made a copy of it last night. He's quoting James Montgomery Boyce, who's one of my favorite guys to read. And Boyce quotes C.S. Lewis, who I like, and Francis Schaeffer, who I really like. So this is like a great quote. <laughs> Boyce says this, we talk about the word of God as truth. We are right to do so. But we have to acknowledge when we speak along these lines that the world of our day no longer strictly believes in truth. Get that? No longer speaks in truth. We're going to come back to that. And the great apologists of our time are all saying that. C.S. Lewis said it very well in the opening page of the Screwtape Letters, where the devil's henchman tempting his patient on earth is advised not to talk about truth and falsehood because people don't operate on that basis anymore, but rather talk about what's useful, what's practical. That, that's the way to get through. Francis Schaeffer has said the same thing in more philosophical terms. He pointed out, quite rightly, that today, unlike previous generations, people, though they speak of truth and falsehood, are not speaking of truth in the biblical sense, or even in the traditional sense, to mean that which is true now, and will always be true. At the end of his life, Schaefer coined the phrase, true truth. So you're going in a world, and when I stand up, I speak, I don't know, a lot of times in front of non-church settings, or business settings, or settings with unbelievers. And when I go, the Bible says, they either dismiss it completely or go, that's okay. But, but you know what? Uh, here, here's the Bible, and here's, you know, Deepak, and here's Oprah, you know, and here's, uh, I don't know, Sean Hannity, and here's Chris Matthews, and, and here's Jimmy Buffett, okay? <laughs> and, and, and they're all kind of equal. They're all kind of the same. You're never going to go in to a, to, a, <laughs> to a bookstore and buy, buy a Bible on the front that says, updated by the author. Okay? So everything God wanted to say to you, he says to you in this word. And, and I speak now autobiographically. In my own life, that was a key moment for me. It was March 8th, or March 6th, 1980, that, that God saved me. So, so like, just, just over 36 years ago. And it all started with me going to a Bible study. It was a guy by the name of Larry Wright, and Larry was teaching, and there were probably, I don't know, 30 of us in the room. And it was like we were the only two in the room. I went back to the office, went through the phone book, found Larry Wright, called Larry. I said, could we meet? And, and I didn't get it at the time, 
but I did shortly after that what was different about him is he was immovable in the area of truth. So I did this. I asked him all the tough questions. You believe in Adam and Eve? Jonah in the belly of a fish? Come on. I went through the whole thing. And he never blinked. He didn't apologize. He didn't blink. Here's, here's what he said. Tom, tonight, go home and read the Gospel of John. And I did. You know what happened? Not one thing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I might as well have been in Greek. I had no idea what it said. But the next morning, I'm in a car all by myself, and I cried out to God, and I said, God, look, I, I am so, I'm so screwed up. I've got 30 years of this life. I've messed it up. I know I'm a sinner. It says Jesus died for me. I'd heard that all my life. Born and raised, Catholic grade school, high school, college, so I knew all that. Same, same words, different dictionary. I, I knew all those words, but all of a sudden I heard, no, he died, and if I believe, because my, my flinch was to go religious. My flinch was to do something. I'm an American. If I broke it, I'll fix it. I'll pay him back. I'll be good. How good? Perfect. Okay, I'm starting today. It's too late. You already got 30 years of imperfection. And God changed my heart that moment. And one of the first things that happened to me is I began to accept the Bible as the word of God. And all of a sudden, in a very confusing world, I knew where to go get the answer. My daughter, my Chia daughter, I, I used to love to go on walks. And I went in there one night. This is perfect, her. And I said, let's go for a walk. And she said, I can't. I got to do my homework. I said, it, 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 it doesn't matter. Let it go. And she said, no. I said, well, what is it? And she said, you can't help. It's math. And, and I said, okay. And so I left. I went out to, I went out to the kitchen. And I came back. And I said, Haley, when I was in school of math, all the answers were in the back of the book. <laughs> Are the answers in the back of the book? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, go look them up and just put them in there and let's go for a walk. <laughs> and, and she just, she is a young girl. I mean, I don't know how old she was, 11. She just said, get behind me, Satan, basically. <laughs> she just said, no, I don't want anything to do with you, okay? Well, here's my thing. Here, here, here's the point. Life is an open book test. You got it right here, and you won't turn to it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I want to check time and make sure we're right. I'm going to take about 15 more minutes. Is that all right, Cody? Okay. Realize this. Okay. In the last days... So that's the time between when Jesus ascends and Jesus returns. So you're in the last days. So see if this sounds accurate. In the last days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Sound right? Boastful, arrogant, reviler, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, 
without self-control, brutal, haters of good. They're not neutral, they hate good. Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self. So look at the bookend of that list. They're lovers of self, lovers of money. They love pleasure rather than lover of God. Verse 5, but they hold to a form of godliness. They're religious people. They'll go to the spirituality section of the bookstore. They'll, they'll tell you. That every, everyone you know is a theologian. Everyone you know has some view of God. And, and, and the way you know that they don't have a biblical view of God is you lay out something and they say, but my God would never do that. There's another French philosopher that said, God made man in his own image, and man has been returning the favor ever since. We create a God. We make him. What God did to Ezekiel, God does to us, is to say, I'm, I'm going to give you this book that, that you're not prepared for life until you understand me. And this becomes the book that shapes all of our life. So in a world, let's get it in your context. Let's get it in your Monday morning. In a world where you work or live or play or study, where people are lovers of self, lovers of money, they love pleasure rather than love God, what do you do? Chapter 3, verse 16. You give them scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. Profitable, the word literally means beneficial, productive. For four things, see it there? For four things, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now, if we, if we can't, we can go ahead and look at the end and, and start backwards. Wouldn't I love, verse 17, to be a, a man, a woman of God, who's adequate and equipped in every good work? I sure would. How would I get there? Well, I go back to the scripture. So I, I need things I can remember. I am not the, I'm not a smart guy. I, you know, I am number one in the class of the U of A, but that's not a big deal. I, 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 I'm not a smart guy. I need handles. So let me give you definitions here, okay? It's good for teaching. That means content, not method, what to say. And it's good for reproof. That's correction. That's correction, correcting misbehavior or false doctrine. That's some, some final authority. So you're sitting down at cartel and you're having, you're unpacking the world's problems and you're going at this and you're going, well, you know what? That's just wrong. Who made you queen? Who made you king? Nobody. But the king told me what he thinks. Well, I think everybody goes to heaven, okay? If I was God, you know, I'd probably do that too. Well, not everybody, but I mean a whole bunch of people. Well, God didn't do that. Well, God said this is what it is. There's only one way to heaven. How can you say that? Well, 
it's here. So teaching tells me what's right. Reproof tells me what's not right. That third word there is correction. It's the only time it appears in the New Testament. It means to restore something to its original proper condition. It's positive provision. So I've confronted somebody. I've told them they're wrong. Listen, give me a path to fix it. How do I get right? I'm, I'm, I'm all messed up. I'm all screwed up. We were at a meeting the other day, and somebody was talking about parenting, and uh, they were going on, and they were saying, we've got these people, and, and, and they, they come in, and they're troubled, and one of the things we do is, is point them to Cody's dad and, and mom's resources, not for more information, but for an answer. I don't, I rarely, oh, that's, most of the time, I know when I'm wrong. Help me fix it. Now, I've got to want to do it, too. I've I got I to want to do it, too. But the correction tells me how to get right, and, and the training in righteousness tells me how to stay right. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in, in the Bible. And, and in Psalm 119, the psalmist is continually talking about the Word of God. Basically, the whole psalm is about that. And he writes this, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. Your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I've observed your precepts. There's wisdom, insight. I, I did a thing... Some was in a business setting, and I did a thing on money. I'm all done. Like I said, that was incredible. And I said, thank you. And he said, where'd you get that stuff? Is that Jack Wells? No. Where'd you get that stuff? The Bible. The Bible is the operator's manual for our life. So here you go. It's good for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness so that you are equipped. You're ready to live. So the Bible tells me what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. The Bible, the Bible becomes the resource book that I go to again and again and again and again. Now, let me say some things that are obvious. It can't be that for you if you don't, listen closely now, if you don't study it, not read it. It's one thing to read it. It's one thing to read through a textbook. It's another thing to study it. It's one thing to read the Gospel of John. It's another thing to study it. And to the extent that you get away from this, your life, now we're not talking about you going out, your life will become a mess. I'm going to ask you to do something. Never done this. don't think I've ever done this ever in the history of teaching. But in the front of most Bibles, there are two, three, four blank pages. Uh, or maybe there's a table of contacts. 
or maybe there's a space for you can write. So turn there and get your pen out. I don't hear any turning. There's probably a reason that I've never done this before. I'm finding out why. And it's an old paraphrase, I believe from D.L. Moody. I remember hearing Howie Hendricks, who was one of those guys I loved to listen to. Then he said on the first Bible they ever got, somebody inscribed it to him, and here's what they wrote. It's what you're going to write on the inside of yours. This book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. It's interesting, several of you were waiting to see if it was going to be worth writing. <laughs> then you turn to your Bible. <laughs> I love that. So here you go. There's Ezekiel. Ezekiel gets the word of God. He says, I want you to eat it, and I want you to go, my rebellious people, don't you be rebellious like them, but you go, and you take this word, and you devour it, and you just throw it up all over them. And he says, I want to fast forward to us, 2016, he says to us, you have this word of God. In these last days, where people are lovers of self, and lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, you've got the answer. It's not a reason to be arrogant. It's a reason to be confident. It's not a reason to be argumentative. It's not to go and start a debating club and try to out-debate people. But when you're sitting down talking to somebody, you bring to that conversation not your opinion, not your view, but what does God say? What does God? I, I am so convinced on these hot immigration. I'm so convinced on immigration that most of my friends' views are more shaped by Rush and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram than they are by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't even think it's close. I'm not arguing a point there. I'm not trying to drop that at the end to separate us. I'm trying to say, I need to be able to say, what, what, what does God have to say about that? What does God say? He's got a view on everything. He cares about you. And in this world, you and I are his messengers. It's our, not a duty. Duty, I, I don't know. Duty doesn't sound like fun to me. It's our privilege to be his instrument, his mouthpiece to a lost and dying world. I pray as the guys come to lead us in uh, our time of response. Father, thank you for these amazing truths. It seems clear and simple, but God, we want to do it. Motivate us, change us, intrinsically inspire us to be your men and women in the world we live in. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Uh, guys, now we're going to move into a